to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's Director of Web and Interactive Content. Hello, Doug. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I am great. How are you doing? I am doing okay. It is the middle of the week, thank God. <laughs> Although now I'm a little bit jealous. You were telling me before we got started today that you are heading to Arizona for spring break. Tomorrow. So today is my Friday. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I regret to inform you this podcast has now come to an end. Um, you might be wondering, is it because Liz is spiteful? And the, the answer would be yes. A hundred percent yes. It's only 80 degrees in Arizona. So I'll just leave that out there. You're a monster. Okay. All right. You know what? My personal petty grievances aside, obviously I know who you are, but for the listeners at home, who are you? What do you do? What brings you to my show today? Yeah. My name is Doug Breaker. I am the CEO of a company called scripted.com. I've been CEO about a year now, just over a year. Uh, Prior to that, I was at Earth Class Mail, um, another kind of startup for a couple of years as CEO. And then uh, prior to that, uh, which is one of the reasons why we're talking, I ran a company called homefinder.com and then prior to that, orbits.com. And both at Orbits and Homefinder did tons and tons of work uh, in the SEO world and more um, for those companies on like kind of the data-driven SEO. Um, uh, But uh, with Scripted, kind of got back into that world and, and learned lots and lots about content marketing. So very excited to chat today. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've, I've talked with other people in the SEO space before on this podcast. And I remember when I was first getting started in content marketing and inbound and whatever label you want to prescribe to it, you know, putting words on an internet screen to make people educated, then then go, hey, I don't hate you on the internet and I'm learning stuff. Can I buy your things? Like whatever label you put on that is the thing that I was getting into. Um, I remember when I first started, I, I always had this, this, I put on airs about it. You know, I, I'm an artiste. I'm I'm telling a story. (laughs) What is this? What is this SEO nonsense and these, you know, fine. I'll write a meta description. I'll give it a succinct title, but you're ruining my art. You know, like I was just so full of hot air and I've noticed over the past, you know, few years um, you know, that that was obviously a, a type of thinking that was, you know, never going to get my content found. Uh, and as an only child, you know, the only thing I like more than cheese and, and breathing is attention and people going, oh my God, that's so great. And I love that. And you are just the best. But I think we all have that desire, right? You know, whether we're just getting started in content or inbound marketing or whatever you want to call it, um, or we've been around the block for a while, we all have this desire to have our efforts, efforts matter and have our efforts be found and make a difference and get results. And I think that really is what is bringing us to our topic today, you know, is how do you marry the human element of what you're doing with your strategy, right? So you know who your audience is, you know what are the most important questions they're asking, you know you need to be creating content that answers those questions because that's why people fire up their Google machine to get answers to questions. But how do you retrain your brain to think about data and SEO in the right way at the right time when you're building these strategies? And, I, and, and that's something that 
I wouldn't say I still struggle with it, but I think it's something where even if you're the most seasoned, you have to get a refresher on it because SEO is always changing. And also it's just, it's, it's, I've heard it's like riding a bike. I, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, I grew up in an apartment building by the Pentagon. So yeah. I never learned how to ride a bike, but I'm just, I'm going off of rumor. <laughs> 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 you kind of need to practice, you know, and, and, and get back into the groove with it. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I came at uh, this content marketing thing much more from the, the data side. So like just a, a fun story <clears throat> back in 2008 when I was at Orbitz, uh, orbits.com, the, the big travel site. The last thing I did there was look at hotel name search. So people just going in to Google and typing, you know, Marriott Chicago or the Luxor Vegas. And uh, back in 2008, awesome tools like Ahrefs and SEMrush and those things really didn't exist in the form they do today. Um, so to get data, I actually wrote a Google scraper, don't tell Google, um, uh, to go look and check to see where we ranked Orbitz in the top five pages for the 80,000 hotels that we could book on site. And it turned out that we ranked in the on the top page like 3% of the time, mm -hmm. um, and in the top five pages like 10% of the time. Uh, and with our domain authority, if we would have ranked in the top five, it would have been worth an extra couple hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, and that would have actually been pretty easy for us. Uh, and then so uh, kind of I'll jump to the next uh, big data experience. Uh, after Orbitz, I went to HomeFinder and it was a real estate website, much like Zillow or Trulia. And we kind of took that same strategy to say like, hey, we've got all of these pages on houses or homes and all of these uh, results pages for cities. Let's make these friendly to Google and the other search engines. Um, so we did that. And not so much like content marketing as we think about writing, but definitely there was content on the page about the home or, or that sort of stuff. Uh, and we took our organic traffic from really nothing to uh, 1.2 million visits a month later that, that spring, so in about eight months, and then over 2 million in about a year and a half. Wow. Um, so it was kind of my last experience in SEO before, in content marketing before uh, joining Scripted, but Scripted has been really, really fun because I've gotten to see, uh, you know, actual like written content and how that performs. And to your point before, the data side of it is is fascinating because you can choose a topic really well that has lots of searches and a, a low competition in terms of organic, and have great results. Or, or you could, you know, choose a really hard topic, and write the best piece of content ever, and you know, never appear anywhere close to page one. So the, the data side of it and the kind of the, you know, knowing what to write and what that content should look like to give yourself the best shot at ranking highly in, in Google and the other search engines and getting the, you know, the traffic to your site is, is so important. Mm -hmm. and, if you, and if you get it right, it's great because then, you know, the traffic comes and uh, everybody looks at you and says, wow, you're really smart. And, Good job. <laughs> so to take a step back for a moment, because yeah. I am sitting here realizing, you know, you're rattling off Orbitz, HomeFinder, you know, those are brand names that people are very familiar with, but Scripted may not be a brand that people are particularly familiar with. So what is Scripted? What do you do? Yeah, great question. Uh, so Scripted, uh, when I joined, was a uh, marketplace of freelance writers. So we've got about a thousand writers, mostly in the U.S., 
Um, and if you need writing done, uh, you come on to Scripted and you say, hey, I want a blog post and it should be about this topic and here's my content brief. And then one of our writers will, or a bunch of our writers will you know, pitch uh, to you, you choose one and uh, they write and you could re revise and go back and forth and then you, can, you end up with a, a nicely written piece of content. Uh, kind of like Upwork, but just for writing. Um, uh, and when I joined, we, we decided to you know, put a lot of the SEO data and analytics and kind of roadmap uh, along with the writing. Uh, and we call that product cruise control. Uh, but we wanted to give people a roadmap and tell people what to write. Um, so then, you know, that writing becomes more valuable. Yeah, I, and I'll say just, um, you know, from my experience, I remember when I was a, so let me back up for a moment. So one of the things that we always talk to a lot of our clients about is, is something that comes from the most common question that we get which is, okay, I know I should be asking or answering the most common questions that we're getting from clients or from prospective buyers. And that's what we should be doing in our content. But should we be insourcing our content or should we be outsourcing our content? And that's always kind of a, a, a tricky pickle. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because the for sure. ideal state is there is never going to be any better content that you create than the content that's created within the four walls of your organization. You know, and, and that's because just the the more you put your content outside of your organization, you're just going to lose a little bit of that something, that a little bit of that culture. It will never be as good. It may be great. It may be stellar, but it will never be the peak of what it could possibly be as if it were being written within your own four walls. Now that said, my first experience with scripted actually when I was, ooh, my gosh, I think I want to say three or four years ago at this point, uh -huh. um, when I was working at Quintain. And at the time, it was this weird shift in the industry and in inbound where you were seeing this realization, I think among agency owners first before small businesses, that it, you couldn't just have marketers who were doing dual discipline meaning they couldn't be marketers who were strategists, but then also be great content creators. Because mm -hmm. it used to be when Inbound first came around that, you know, it just mattered that you had content. Like it could be fine. Yeah. It didn't have to be amazing, but you just needed to have the content, which means you really didn't need a specialist in that kind of role. And we noticed at Quintain that one of the biggest pain points for our account managers, people who were just absolutely brilliant strategists, didn't have the native skill set of being an authoritative storyteller who needs some sort of journalism chops to be able to spot within 30 seconds whether a story is good or not, who's able to interview subject matter experts and things like that. Like We just realized that it was creating a burden. So we created my role. So I moved from an account management role into a content manager role. But whenever you're in a big organization and you're making that ownership, like you're taking that first step toward, you know, we are going to start owning content and making it a priority. It's rarely a situation where you go, I'm going to flip the light switch. Now we're going to have this big content production house within our own company. It just really doesn't work that way. So we have found, and, and I tell this story because broadly speaking, you know, working with a, with a scripted or something like that is a great way to start, to really start bringing a culture of content within your company in a way where you're working with experts who know how to do this while you're getting everything stood up. 
And I found that with me too. So what I used to do, because I was a control freak and I really wanted control over the narrative and the story, is that I would interview subject matter experts. I would have the topic. I would have the basic outline. And so when I got to the writer was scripted, they had the topic, they had the audio recording of the interview and any of my notes. But the thing that's interesting is that not everybody goes to bat with somebody like me. And I am tooting my own horn in this case. I'm a pretty good storyteller. I know how to do content pretty well. Mm -hmm. But while you're either finding that right person or that right person is getting trained up and getting really comfortable with the processes, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You know you have to be writing something. You know that the way of even just five years ago doesn't work. Like mediocre doesn't cut it. It's great and it has, you you have to have great content. But it can't just be great content. You have to be writing great content about the right things. And the right thing is some sort of mystical combination of the human piece of what your buyers want to know and all of this research you're talking about using, you know, like keyword research, like Ahrefs and, and SEMrush or Keywords Everywhere and Neil Patel's Uber Suggest, like all of these different things. And mm-hmm. so it becomes a bit of a quandary. Yeah, and to simplify it back to what you said before is inbound, the whole point of, of inbound is to get more targeted traffic to your website that turns into good business things for you. And so, you know, that's, we don't write content in content marketing just to write content. We, we write it for a, a business purpose is to, to drive more business. Um, and that's where this research and kind of all of that analytics come in <clears throat> because writing without a roadmap is, isn't a good idea. Uh, we've seen companies write, you know, over $10,000 worth of content per month, uh, but they don't write it with, you know, any sort of good research or any sort of good thought given to what will actually bring them traffic. And then, you know, we run the stats and they don't get traffic from that. Conversely, we've seen companies write a blog a month, you know, one really good, well thought out piece. And, you know, rank in the you know, top five spots of Google and get you know, a good 10, 12 leads a, a week from that. And so it's, it's so critical to, to know where you're going and to have a roadmap and have that roadmap instructed by, you know, all of the great data that these tools provide. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point about, you know, using scripted to get started, I love that. And actually, could you write our content briefs for us? Cause you sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh no, so even even for us internally, we have our own writers write a lot of our marketing stuff. Uh, but in the in the software world, there's a, a phrase that's uh, shipping is a feature, and so I think the same goes with content too. Of you know, if perfect is the enemy of good, and and if you wait and say, oh, we're only going to do perfect content, then you will never do content. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll never publish anything. And so one of the recipes that we use internally. Uh, and I use personally is, is to have, you know, go to the writers with a good content brief with, you know, the sections that you want and uh, and a good style guide and that sort of thing, but have them write it, um, and then go in and rewrite the parts that you want. You know, it's, sometimes it's a lot easier to revise than to, you know, write a thousand word piece or 2000 word piece. Oh yeah. If you, if you have a good solid writer and they come back, you know, it's not that hard to go in and add you know, your tone and your, your point of view and, you know, the couple fixes that you want. And then it kind of forces you to, to do it um, because you've just 
<laughs> paid for this thing and you've got this piece of content and you want to publish it and it's just waiting for a few edits. So 100% agree there, you know, um, to get started, it, it's, a, it's a great kind of forcing factor to, to do it. Yeah, and as a, as a sidebar, before we get back to our, our main point of conversation, you brought up something that I've always, I've always tried to instill in people when they're really first getting started with content, is to understand that when somebody gives you a first draft, they're not necessarily saying the litmus test for success here is that you have no changes, but you also shouldn't be thinking that either. You know, I've had situations with clients in the past where they don't understand that, you know, hey, this is the beginning of a, of a relationship and I have to learn how to write for you and we have to learn this process together. Like whatever level of newness that exists on either side, there's always that, that period where you're figuring stuff out. And sometimes the process that you land on is exactly what you just said. I am not giving you a fully formed draft that should be perfect and ready to go. We have obviously gotten to the point where, you know, you need to have raw materials to shape into something. And mm -hmm. that is a perfectly fine process that I've seen work really well. In fact, this morning I did a subject matter expert interview here internally because I still do that. Um, and his, some, I do it for three different people within our company. Two of them are just like, I don't want to see it. You make me sound smart. Just, just go do it. And then the third person, is, and this is not a negative, he prefers to see it in advance and that way he can shape it up and really get his thoughts exactly where he needs them to be. And sometimes that is the process. There is no one size fits all process. And I would say, don't measure your content manager or your writer based on whether or not you, know, you get this perfect fully formed thing. Sometimes it's just a first draft and that's fine. Yeah, especially when you're just starting out with a writer. Mm -hmm. um, it's like having a new employee, right? Or mm -hmm. new team member. You don't know them. They don't really know you. And your company, whether your employer or the owner is, is your baby. So then when you get a piece of content written back and it's not exactly like you want, I think sometimes our first reaction is to say, oh, I, this is terrible. I can't work with this. Um, but it's just step one and you know, a 10-step process. And as you work through the feedback and, and get to know each other, it gets a lot better and a lot smoother. Mm -hmm. So bringing it back around to what we were talking about today, which is really this marriage of the human element and the data to, to make sure that when you ask the question, what should we be writing about, you're, you're coming to the correct answer. Um, so let me posit something to you. When we, when we, when we work with our clients, we really center them around the, this idea of the big five, which are the big five topics that drive traffic leads and sales. You know, we've just seen this through the data that these are the topics that people tend to rally around. Mm -hmm. So your buyers are typically asking about pricing and costs. That's one. Reviews, best in class lists or anything like that. Um, comparisons and problems. So if we were able to brainstorm a big list of topics, right? Where we say, okay, so if we know these are the big five generally that the industry bears out as being the most popular, and we've gotten our whole sales team together and said, you know, just shake your brains out and give me all of the most common questions that people are asking you. How do we then take that raw material, the, that, that big five understanding, that brainstorm from our sales team, and then crystallize it into the right set of topics? Yeah, <clears throat> what we do with cruise control and, and <clears throat> it, all it does is, is use 
you know, the kind of best in class SEO tools out there is we do that too. We, you know, we, we get all of the keyword ideas and topic ideas from, you know, from internal sources. But then what I recommend people do is, is to look at their competitors. Um, so to say, and that it doesn't have to be competitors and appear like, you know, Hey, we do the exact same things, but it can be competitors that, uh, vie for the same terms online. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, one of the easiest ways to start is just to think of a competitor, go into Ahrefs or SEMrush or whatever your SEO tool is of choice, um, and go look at their top keywords. So all of those tools will give you a list of, of the top, you know, all of the, the, the most valuable keywords for them, grab those keywords, uh, you know, put them in your spreadsheet. Also look at their top pages. So the, the top pages that drive organic traffic. Uh, I know Ahrefs has that. I'm, I'm sure the other ones do too. Um, and look at kind of the, the key term that's getting them the most traffic. Um, a lot of these tools will also have the idea of, of parent keywords or like what's the highest search keyword among the variations. Grab that, add it to your spreadsheet. Um, and then once you have that like monster spreadsheet <laughs> of all of these different terms, uh, feed it back in. And uh, what we're really looking for is search volume. So how many searches per month are there on a given term? Uh, second is keyword difficulty. So how hard it is, is it to rank on the first page of Google for a given term? Uh, both Ahrefs and SEMrush have this, this concept. Uh, and then third, which is hugely important and maybe the most important is, you know, how, how does this apply to your business? Um, and so for example, uh, we have a, a client uh, called Sorcery. They do, uh, they work with restaurants and they scan invoices and then they do like price tracking of, of uh, ingredients. So they can tell you if an avocado has gone up from like a dollar a pound to $3 a pound. Um, pretty cool stuff. So we did their keyword analysis and one of the uh, keywords that jumped out was uh, recipe cost calculator. And um, there were a bunch of terms that were, uh, higher, higher searched, uh, but this one had 1300 searches um, in Ahrefs it had a page uh, one difficulty of 13 out of 100. So that's pretty low, which is good. It means uh, it's, you know, reasonable to go after. And then for this company for sorcery, it, you know, really, really applied to their business because they're in the business of tracking recipe uh, uh, item costs. And this applies to that really well. Um, and so you know, taking it, you know, getting all the, use, casting a wide net with competitors and their, their best keywords and their best pages and internally, you know, what, what keywords do people want? Dumping that all in and doing that initial analysis is like so hugely important because then, you know, if you're an internal team, you can meet and go through that, that list and say, oh yeah, we could do a, a really cool piece on recipe cost calculator or inventory sheet, or um, maybe this term um, prime cost doesn't make sense for us uh, because it doesn't exactly do, you know, uh, apply to our business. So just that process is, if you're doing that, you know, that's going to set you up so much better than just kind of skipping that step and starting to write. So anybody doing content marketing, I would say, absolutely you know do this keyword research and this topic research up front so you can really attack this strategically 
um, and go after the keywords that and the topics that are going to, you know, drive you meaningful traffic and that you can rank for. Um, because it doesn't, it's not going to matter if you write the best piece of content in the world and, and you're on page 11. Uh, that's not going to bring you what you want. Yeah. So what would you say are some of the most common mistakes you see happening in this keyword research phase? And, and I want to challenge you to, to call out even the most seasoned of content marketers, myself included. What are, what are those well-meaning mistakes that all of us are making? And what are the mistakes that the new folks should be avoiding? Yes, I'll tell an embarrassing story from my past. Um, so Those are at, my favorite. Okay. At, at, <laughs> at Earth Class Mail, um, uh, Earth Class Mail did, uh, we, we scanned a physical postal mail and we provided like virtual business addresses. And some of the mail that we scanned were checks. And so we launched this cool new check deposit product where you can deposit to any bank um, for checks that receive in the mail. <clears throat> anyway, we, you know, I come from a, a pretty deep SEO background. And so when we were coming up to launch, we're like, oh, we need content because we want to rank for, you know, terms that are going to drive signups and things like that. And uh, we, when we did the research, we didn't use Ahrefs or SEMrush. We used like the AdWords tool. And the AdWords tool has gotten so bad at search volumes. It's just like terrible. It'd be like, oh, there's 1,000 to 100,000 searches a month. Like, well, that doesn't really tell me anything. Um, and they, they have the idea of competition, but that competition isn't organic competition. It's AdWords competition, which are two totally different things. Um, and we really didn't do that piece I said about, hey, find your competitors and see where they're getting their traffic. We didn't do that. Uh, and so we went into it, you know, we, and we probably spent 10,000 bucks on content. Um, internally and externally, uh, we went into it with no roadmap. And so we, we wrote, I don't know, 10 really good pieces, but they weren't, you know, they didn't rank and there weren't a lot of search volumes and, and stuff like that. So, and this is like a key business initiative. <laughs> and so I look back like really embarrassed to say, uh, hey, you know, because at the time we didn't know exactly how to to do this type of research, uh, we totally missed the mark. And we wasted months and months of effort and you know, lots of money doing, writing this content, which was good content, but it wasn't designed to, uh, you know, to go get that valuable traffic that would turn into customers for us. I'm always amazed at how much people want to end up skipping those steps. Like, oh, we don't need the content calendar. Oh, we don't yeah. need to sit down and take like, it's such a waste of everybody. It's just the most valuable use of our time, bringing people together in a room for an hour or so. It's like, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is worth the hour to bring people together and brainstorm or prioritize or to sit down at a computer and just validate with data, what you say you want to do, because I don't think people realize it's not like, oh, if I, you know, will like have to pay for that hour or two later, like maybe at threefold. No, you will waste months. Like the, 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 um, the consequence of not having those initial stages done correctly, which may seem like that hour or two out of your day may seem like the end of the freaking world. But what you're saving yourself from is months of spinning your wheels and then eventually saying something like, oh, this isn't going to work for us. Or, oh, look at all this money that got wasted. You know, you, you're not even following the process and then you wonder why it doesn't work. 
yeah, it's like, you know, going to bake a cake and skipping putting in the eggs or the butter. Like it's, it's you're not going to get a good cake. You're going to get a hockey puck. Um, so you, you have to follow the recipe with this stuff. And when you do, the, the great thing is, is it's amazing what kind of the results you can get. Like I mentioned Home Finder, but we went from nothing to over a million visits a month. And that obviously that feels great um, mm -hmm. when you do that. Or conversely, the earth class mail example, like, you know, and, and the crazy thing is with content marketing, like you, you think nothing of spending thousands of dollars on AdWords to drive traffic. Um, like nothing at all. Like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll up our ad budget to whatever. Um, where if you, if you just applied a little bit of diligence and, and followed the recipe on this content marketing stuff, you can, you can get a lot better results usually. What would you say beyond, you know, this, this notion of like, you need to do the planning, you know, what's the biggest mistake with you, you do with planning while well, not doing it? What, <laughs> yeah, are some, sure. what are some of the other more nuanced mistakes people might be making that they're not aware of? Yeah. So, so planning is step one. Uh, the, the second step, which is also just as important is writing content designed to rank for, you know, that keyword. And what that really means now with Google is, Google tries to reward, you know, content that best answers the searcher's question. Mm -hmm. And it's really not any more difficult than that. Uh, and so what we do with cruise control, um, and again, you can, you can, you don't need cruise control to do this. You can just use Ahrefs and the other tools that I'll mention is look to see what's ranking. So like, for example, I gave the, the example of recipe cost calculator. When we looked at that keyword, we noticed, um, and on the first page of Google, the results were uh, how to calculate recipe costs. You know, a couple good long-form blog articles about how to do this, the steps involved. Um, and at least one of the results was a, a shareable, downloadable spreadsheet, where, which contained that, you know, an actual calculator to calculate your recipe costs. And so what, what we do is we look at a few things. We look at... Um, for the, the top 10 in Google, like which content pieces are ranking despite not having maybe the domain authority or the uh, maybe the link power of the others? Um, because that's a sign that says, hey, Google might be ranking this just because of the content. Um, and then we just like visually look at the, you know, the content and see which ones that we like too. Like, all right, this one looks really good. This looks like a great piece of content. This looks helpful. Uh, we also look at the word count. Um, and the grade level readability. And you can actually you go to um, uh, readable.io is a good tool for this. Um, or you can like copy paste it, the text out and paste it into Hemingway app. Uh, there's a, a bunch of different ones um, to kind of see like, hey, that all of this content's around 1200 words or 1500 words. So we know our blog post is gonna be, you know, around that. And then the, the kind of the simplest formula that we recommend is to say, you know, go look at, you know, on the top page, the three to four posts or pieces of content that that are really good. Uh, when you look at them, jot down the questions that you have in your mind, uh, you know, jot down things that you really liked. And then, you know, as you're taking your notes, you're kind of building your outline for, for your piece of content. Um, and then given, given all the that data you just got of like, all right, so roughly how many words, what are the titles, what are the descriptions of the pieces? What are they? Are they blog posts? Are they, um, listicles, are they tutorials? Uh, you, you've got that, you've got your word count, and then you go and you look at uh, 
the articles themselves, the, you know, questions that you can uh, better answer. And then just ask yourself, like, what piece of content can we create that that's better than these, that better answers the searcher's questions when they're searching for something like recipe cost calculator? Um, and then you have a really good idea of a piece of content that has a really good shot at ranking. Um, there's obviously a few more steps involved of like making it look pretty and, and maybe doing some link outreach and that sort of stuff. But that piece of content has a really great shot at at ranking and more importantly, like answering people's questions when they when do they come to that uh, when they're searching for that term. You know, you've referenced it a couple of times. Uh, so you've mentioned Ahrefs, you've mentioned SEMrush, but you've also mentioned cruise control. And uh -huh. so my understanding is part of the reason that you've come to Scripted is to really kind of infuse this more data-driven ideology into this product that used to just be a, a network of freelancers. Can you just tell me a little bit about what cruise control is? And yeah. that's just like speed to cruise control. It's not starring Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, actually, I think Fox Studio still owns the domain cruisecontrol.com. Do they uh, really? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So cruise control is uh, our tool and our product that helps you create the most effective, efficient content calendars possible. And then we use our scripted pool of writers to fulfill that content. Mm -hmm. um, and just because the way that I'm built, I, I was a developer way back when, and I, I just hate wasting time and money. And so, you know, having made all the mistakes through my career about you know, content marketing and SEO, I, I hate people. I don't hate people. I hate seeing people, um, seeing people, you know, don't we all though? <laughs> write content and spend all this time and money and, and not have a good roadmap to do it. So cruise control provides that roadmap, provides all of the competitor research, the keyword research, the analysis of Google's top 10 results, um, uh, you know, all of the readable, all the tools that I mentioned, you know, we, we take all the kind of data from that and turn that into like these really in-depth content briefs that tell the writers very specifically how to write a piece that has a really good shot at ranking highly in Google. And then on top of that, we, we do tracking. So we track the effectiveness of each content piece, you know, how many keywords is it ranking for, for the target keyword, where, where does it rank? How many uh, organic clicks do we estimate it's getting? Uh, if you had to go replace those organic clicks with AdWords clicks, how much would it cost? Um, and we, we track that every week. So it, it's kind of the combination of all of my past mistakes <laughs> and learning into a tool that, that helps content teams um, uh, and businesses uh, just gain a lot more targeted traffic through, uh, through content. So he, I, you've brought up word count a couple of times. Actually, you know what? There are two things. First, I want to talk about word count, and then I want to talk about this readability score that you've mentioned a few times. Uh -huh. So with word count, there are different schools of thought about it. You know, it, I've heard some people say, you know, when they look at, you know, SEMrush, for example, has their content template, right? Mm -hmm. You go in, you type in the keyword that you're really looking to rank for. It's going to spit out what's already currently ranking for it. It's going to give you the semantic keywords that you should be including as well in your content. And then it'll say your target word count should be around blank based on what you know we're seeing in terms of the top performing pieces. Is there, do you have to stick to that word count? Is it the minimum? Is it something that you should be going above and beyond? Are you penalized for going above and beyond that? You know, I've just heard so many different schools of thought about that. I'd love to get your take. Yeah, no, what we see in our data is that it's just a guideline. Um, and if 
you remember the guiding light of, hey, how can we write a piece of content that best answers the searcher's question? That should always be the guideline because that's what Google is trying to reward. So they're not looking at word count. They're looking at, hey, you know, of all the people that click into this result, how many uh, get their answer? And they use a bunch of different signals to, to figure that out. Like, all right, does the person quickly jump back out and jump into the next result? Or does the person, you know, navigate deeper into the site? Um, you know, they, they have thousands of different factors that they do. So the way that we think about word count is just as a guideline to say, hey, if everything that is ranking, and especially the, the pieces that are ranking, you know, it looks like because of the content, you know, not because just they have a thousand links. Um, if they're around a thousand words, there's a good chance that your post will probably be around a thousand words. But it's, again, it's a guideline. It's not, it's not like, hey, if you hit 900, you're not gonna rank. If you can answer that question and uh, the searcher's question and give them a really great you know, response and, and piece of content, then it could be 800, it could be 1500. Like it, the way that we think about it is just you know, purely a guideline. It kind of goes into the writing too of, you know, if, if you're writing, I mentioned grade level readability, that, that becomes important in terms of creating content that's very readable and that readers enjoy reading. <laughs> because again, if something's hard to read, people are gonna bounce off of it and not get the answer that they're looking for. And so again, it's, it's a guideline to that North Star of, you know, answer the per person's question. If they're searching about um, Home Depot moving trucks or recipe cost calculator, like how can you best give them the answers that they're looking for? Mm -hmm. And you should always come back to that. Like don't try and play games because eventually Google will catch up. Just create really good content that answers people's questions. Yeah. So you already started touching upon the second piece of that, which was the readability piece of it. And usually it's done on a grading scale. Like it, my, my favorite though is sometimes Hemingway Apple will be like, you are writing at the 13th grade level. Like there is no such thing anyway. Why don't you just calm down a moment there? Um, but you mentioned that readability is very important. And why is the grade level you write at so important? I mean, let's say we're talking to a highly evolved, sophisticated audience with um, a, working maybe in a very technical field, you know, are there cases where the readability or the grade scale it's, it's leveled at it, that it's higher and it's okay. Cause I think that's something that I've always struggled with a little bit is that I always tend to rank because my sentences tend to be very complex. You know, they're, they're not always short and succinct little bite-sized pieces. So that's one of the signals that will drive up the grade level that you're, that your content reads at in those screeners. But what are your thoughts around how and when and if your grade level is up in the more high school and college level versus middle school and, and where is that sweet spot? Yeah, the, way, the approach we take is, is we try and match it to what's ranking today. And so like if you wanna do this manually in, uh, you can just go to Google, you know, click into the result, copy the text out, go over to Hemingway, um, put it in, and, and just do the, the first page to see, you know, where, where they come back at. And usually they're, they're reasonably close, you know, a, a span of four grade levels uh, from what we see. Um, and, but you're absolutely right. You know, a post on a, a scientific study 
is going to be higher than a post on uh, the best uh, dog food, for example. Uh, and so you, you, you kind of want to match you, both on the high and the low. If everything's written at, you know, above a 10th grade level, you don't want to write something at a second grade level because obviously that's not going to match, you know, what the searchers are, are looking for. Um, so, you know, th that's the, the general guidance th that we give is, you know, look at what's ranking, look at the characteristics, and then, you know, don't go wildly outside of them um, because you're probably not going to have success there. But as long as you're like in the range, you know, a couple up and down, I, I think it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, as we've gone through this discussion, there always seems to be this, this common thread of, you know, you need to bring data into your life, whether you're using it as, you know, SEO or, or validation of keyword research or readability or length or w whatever you're using data to validate for you. But it sounds like data really just can never quite take the place of the brain. You need to bring data into it, but you still need to be using your brain to figure out what action or result you're going to go for. hundred percent. And it's actually been really refreshing to see Google get better over the years. Because if you go back to like 2008, 2009, 2010, when I first got into SEO, you could do a lot of stuff to game results. You know, you could link build and you do all these crazy things and, 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 you know, the, best, most informative content necessarily didn't win. Mm -hmm. But Google's gotten so much better that today, I think, like you said, it's a combination of data of like having a really good roadmap, um, uh, plus the human aspect of, of just looking at it and saying, all right, you know, how can I produce something that's going to better answer the questions that these people are asking? Mm -hmm. And if, if you keep that in mind, it kind of removes the, like the black hole of Google and it makes it just a lot simpler to go execute. Um, but you want to have that roadmap of like, hey, well, here's what's ranking today. Here's what they look like. Here's the type of articles. Here's the general length. Here's the general readability. Uh, and, but then produce something that, you know, uh, is pointed at better, better satisfying what they're looking for. And if you, if you keep doing that and keep that in mind, you're going to be successful. What would you say is something, one thing, what is one thing someone could do today to make their writing infinitely better, whether or not they ever take a look at scripted or cruise control or anything else? Yeah, I'll qualify better. Uh, if you're talking about better in terms of like more effective for driving mm -hmm. traffic and ranking, do the keyword research. <laughs> Sign up for Ahrefs or SEMrush or, or whatever and find the terms that you know, are meaningful to your business that have a decent amount of search volume and that you can rank for. Uh, and the you can rank for part is based on like the, the page one difficulty. Uh, and then two, there's so many good writing. If you're just like better writing, there's so many good tools out there. Like I personally use Grammarly and Hemingway app mm -hmm. just when I write stuff today because it, it's super helpful. Um, and uh, if you ever want to read an amazing book on writing, read uh, Stephen King's book called On Writing. Uh, one of my favorites on, on how to write well. But, uh, you know, th those are the, the, the quick tips that I would give. That's so funny. You're the second guest who's come on and recommended that book. Kevin Phillips, our uh, content marketing consultant, uh -huh. he, he's the one who coaches our clients and teaches them how to write well and what they should be writing about and how they create their strategies. And 
um, among other books on writing by Stephen King is probably one of his top books that he always recommends people read. Yeah, actually, we put a piece of that book, just a, a little example into our content briefs for our writers, mm-hmm. um, just to tell them like, you basically want every word to matter and, and avoid fluff words and use active voice and, you know, do all the, the kind of the recommended things. And so I think I love one of my book. favorite things that I've edited recently was, I can't remember what the exact language was, but I couldn't get over the irony. It was an instruction of you can't be passive. Yeah. But the way it was written was it is imperative that it was something like, passivity it, it was a passive statement about not being passive i wish i could remember what it was but when i came across it i almost just i just kind of put my head in my hands for a moment and just could not stop laughing oh that's great oh i love that it's the word nerd stuff that just makes me happy and and no one else <laughs> yeah for sure so how can people learn more about scripted and cruise control and and all of these different things that we've talked about today yeah, just head on over to scripted.com um, and take a look. And we've got a friendly online chat there. Usually Gibson, he's, he's a nice young man, uh, will answer all your questions. So it's uh, a real human being when people chat on your website? Yeah, no, it's a, a nice guy named Gibson. He sits right next to me. Oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, or uh, if you ever want to contact me, my email is just doug at scripted.com. Um, uh, or if you want to talk to sales, it's sales at scripted.com. But always happy to... to connect and to chat and uh, help people out. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Doug. And for everybody else, um, that concludes this week's episode. If you ever have any questions for me, suggestions, inquiries, grievances, whatever, I'm here. Um, You can find me usually on Twitter and Instagram at NaptownPint, or you can email me lmurphy at impactbnd.com. As always, if you love the podcast, please don't forget to leave a review on your podcast provider of choice. It not only makes me feel better when I wake up in the morning to see all the nice words you say about me, it also helps this podcast get found. But uh, otherwise, until next week. 